are live. Yes, here we go. Yes, welcome to Jack Kelly, Happy at Work, The Future of Work, with our special guest today, ace recruiter, top recruiter, actually, chief recruiter officer, right? Chief recruiter officer. That's pretty awesome. Yeah. Richard Cho. So welcome to the show, my friend. Well, thanks for having me, Jack. I'm really glad to be here. Hey, the first thing, just to jump into it, to, to, to really give a shout out to, to recruiters, and I'm a fellow recruiter, chief recruiter officer, that's new, right? Can you talk about it? Like, is this, is this a growing thing? Is this unique? Yeah, I, I think this title has been used in just, uh, let's, let's call it a handful of different companies out there. Um, but really, this is uh, a, a new trend um, that companies are starting to invest more uh, in strategic recruiting. Uh, and so the best way to do that is to ensure that recruiting has a seat at the table, especially at the C-suite. Um, and, and that's something that I think uh, is, is necessary given the uh, monumental shifts in what we're hearing from the talent in the market. Uh, and and there's, there's a lot of different reasons for this, but ultimately it uh, boils down to companies are absolutely saying that recruiting, it will forever be strategic and we need someone at the helm that is also at the table. Now, do you think this is more of a tech thing because it's been so hot, you know, from the pandemic onwards? I mean, obviously it's been hot before that, but really it seemed to just, just, just boom. Are you seeing it in other sectors as well? Yeah. So I, it's mostly, uh, from, from my viewpoint, it's mostly been uh, a, a tech trend. However, I, I actually believe that uh, having someone in the C-suite uh, within recruiting should be a trend across all industries. Uh, the main reason for that is every company is dealing with a really difficult talent acquisition challenge, uh, whether they're a startup, um, a tech startup, or a 100-year established company. Um, if we think about some of those 100-year brands that have been around forever, um, many of these companies are thinking about how do we attract a new wave of talent that now talent is transient uh, given this trend that we're seeing in remote hybrid or remote workers, uh, you know, driven by all the things that we saw during the pandemic, uh, companies uh, that are hundred year brands need to think about really reshifting and becoming a lot more strategic about how to engage that particular talent which involves the participation of the executive suite. Uh, it's no longer just a, hey, you know, head of recruiting, go figure out how to do this remote thing. Uh, it now has uh, business implications around real estate, uh, around brand. It weaves into uh, the um, corporate marketing strategy, CMOs and CROs now, and CRR being the recruiting officer, should be collaborating with each other around how can you take some of the uh, best things about that company's brand uh, and shift it into a talent brand story. Uh, and that, that should be a seamless transaction, not a goes to a CHRO that then goes to a VP of 
uh, of HR that goes to a, a head of recruiting, um, uh, you know, this is this is a trend that I, I actually believe companies, especially now in a down economy, down economy, needs to uh, think about. It's really easy. So to take a step back, as I jumped into it, because I was so excited to hear about a chief recruiting officer, because I've until just very recently, I've never heard of that C-suite title. And as a you know recruiter, I'm glad to see that we're getting a seat at the table, which is fantastic. So, but we I didn't properly introduce you so that Richard is currently chief recruiting officer at Uncut Gems. No, it's just <laughs> gems, right? So, yeah, 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 yeah. For people who are not aware of it, Christine, do you want to maybe share what you know? Even though it's gems, right? Gem is is is. Gem but I can't believe you don't hear people say that uncut gems. <laughs> I love that movie, by the way. <laughs> yeah, so it's a good movie. And then for people who watch you here on TikTok, it's like a big TikTok meme for a while. So, but I guess I guess you guys are too busy recruiting, so you aren't paying attention. Like right. Just just you know, so it shows that you're really recruiting hard and not scrolling through social media and TikTok. So that's good. That's good. That's uh, right. And before you were at Robinhood and you went from what like forty people, four hundred people to like a million people you hired. Yeah, yeah, it was uh, just <laughs> under four hundred to just over four thousand in that in that period of time. So. So before we go to Uncut Gems, could we go to just how was it like at Robinhood going to a place where it was a decent amount of people to start with, but exponential growth? Yeah. How did you do that? Like, how big of a recruiting team did you have? Did you get any sleep? Like, how, how did it all play out? I, look, a lot, a lot of that is uh, on the backs of amazing recruiting professionals. Um, that's actually an interesting place to start. Uh, when I started uh, in April 2019, there were 14 people in all of recruiting. Uh, and in previous uh, years, they were responsible for, uh, let's call it just under 200, 200 hires. Um, that first year, uh, that, that first year we were focused really on establishing a foundation, uh, ensuring that uh, we created, um, you know, things that are necessary for scale, like recruiting capacity, re reorganizing the organization so that you can have recruiting specialists that are deeply um, knowledgeable and passionate about the uh, talent verticals in which they're supporting, uh, and then instrument all the data so that we can, we can um, you know, respond to the market. What I underappreciated was even though uh, Robinhood had a very popular brand as a hot unicorn startup, um, there, the talent brand was uh, directly tied to the, the product brand. Um, and there'd been some bumps in the road along the way and bumps in the, even bumps in the road around the product brand while I was there. Um, and uh, so we had to invest heavily on uh, creating a true talent brand that is uh, authentic to the culture of the company. And, um, and Robin had had that in spades. We just needed to figure out a way to, to, to market that. Um, fast forward, uh, year one uh, that I was there, we hired over 400 people. Year two, 1,000 people. And year three, 2,500 people. So every year, the output more than doubled uh, in, in, in my uh, period of time there. And recruiting started from 14 people to 
310 if you include all of the people, both full-time RPO contractors that all contributed to hiring uh, that uh, that amount of, of of Robin Hoodies, so it was a it was a um, phenomenal ride. Uh, one that in my personal career has been the fastest growth uh, in in my time there, and I learned a lot along the way. Um, uh, so so it's 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 been it was it was a fun ride. So how did you so so you start the first year or so? startup, not as well known, getting buzz. And, you know, so it's kind of manageable. But then as time goes on and, and you hit the stride where all of a sudden there's Wall Street bets, the meme stocks, cryptocurrencies, you know, you know, Bitcoin, all this kind of stuff. So that whole, you know, sector, everybody was at home, just day, it seemed like everybody was at home day trading. Yeah. And, and Robin, who was like the go-to place, particularly it seemed for like Gen Z's and millennials. And it just, just caught, it was like caught fire. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and so now you're, you're tasked with heading it all up and you, you, then you have to figure out, all right, what do we do? So we have to have the branding, but then the branding, I think you kind of politely alluded to, you had, you know, some, some challenges that came up that I guess had to deal with where, um, you know, makes it a little harder to recruit yeah. when you have that, or, you know, worried about paid, you know, order, you know, paying for order flow and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, then when it looked like they weren't in net capital, uh, you know, accordance with the, you know, with the, with, with the regulators. So, so you had to kind of really ride through some storms. Like how did you as a head, you know, heading up recruiting, kind of deal with candidates who are like, wait a minute, are you gonna, is Robert gonna have enough money to survive? Is a, if I go, if I put my money there, is it safe? You know, if I take my, if I leave my current job and go there, am I gonna be in trouble? Was that, was that a big? Yeah, it, it, and I think you articulated the, the, the context pretty well. Um, and, and look, this is actually a uh, phenomenon that happens at, at almost every company. Uh, I think every TA leader uh, will resonate with this particular statement, which is uh, anytime the company is going through some sort of PR crises, or even, by the way, even during times where PR is great for uh, you know that particular company, uh, what what TA leaders uh, are, are struggling with is trying to tell the authentic, uh, authentic story about how the company and its people are rally around that success or problem. Um, in, the, in the examples that you shared, yeah, there were a lot of uh, implications to how candidates might perceive future of that particular company. And so we spent a lot of time uh, Investing in the message, um, yeah. teaching our recruiters and sourcers really the mechanics of what is PFOF? Uh, why is that you know important? Um, how do how can we tell an authentic story that talks about um, uh, this company's success uh, that separates from the you know the impression uh, that that uh, readers are getting from uh, uh, you know PR. Um, so, um, and, and so that's, that's something I, I'm particularly, 
uh, proud of, uh, especially with the team. I shouldn't take credit because it uh, required having someone who led talent brands uh, come up with uh, we, we call it internally, uh, you know, uh, crisis response or crisis response for, for, for recruiting. Um, but the, the thing that I think was really important is that we were able to do that real time uh, as quickly as most companies have some sort of PR crisis response. We had a similar structure for recruiting work hand in glove with our uh, uh, marketing teams. Uh, and we were able to uh, continue to drive positive results because we were able to uh, address those particular topics direct uh, and, and uh, in, in an authentic way. So that's a lot of TA leaders think about, about that. And if, you, and if you haven't built this crisis response type um, function, I highly recommend it, especially again, now in, in, this, in this economy in the, in the PR news that we're hearing today. Because yeah, I'd imagine it takes a lot of work because if you have a dispirited recruiting talent acquisition team that, you know, and, and it's, we're all human. So you, you, you read the headlines and, you know, you hear challenges and then it's hard when they speak into candidates and they're saying, what about this? What about that? What about the other thing to, to really stay on message and, and make the candidate feel comfortable why they should select Robinhood instead of, and because now there are just so many fintech companies, so many startups, and then you have all the legacy big investment banks and hedge funds and private equity. So there's a lot to choose from. So you have to really, I imagine, put a lot of time and effort and work and handholding to your team um, to get their morale up and to keep it motivated and, and, and have that messaging. Jack, you, you hit yeah. the nail right on the head. Um, yeah. you know, uh, the head fake here, as much as that, uh, we created a process to be able to address, uh, you know, the market concerns uh, from a from a product or even uh, company brand perspective. The 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 main driver for having a structure like that is to keep your team motivated. Um, recruiters are humans. Uh, sources are humans. Coordinators are humans. Um, if they don't believe in the I company. think a lot of people don't think recruiters are human, by the way. So <laughs> I think a lot of people, a lot, a lot of job seekers would disagree. Yeah, we, we think we're like machines in the background. We're I don't AI. know what they, you think we're just, yeah, just horrible used car salespeople, real, you know, you know, real estate sales. Folks. I really want to disparage those, but yeah. Yeah, I really want to shift that perception to, to be honest, but like, you know, so, but yeah, with, with these recruiting professionals, obviously they're, they're humans and they want to really believe in the company and which they're pitching to candidates. Um, and if you don't, you know, if you don't focus on that, um, you know, you start to see uh, lower, uh, lower retention, not only in recruiting, but also lower pass through, pass through rates because um, these recruiting professionals are just not bought into the message. And so, well, well stated, Jack. I, I I totally agree with that. Now, how does it get chaotic? And I know you have to be diplomatic about it. But does it get chaotic when you have you're hiring two thousand people in one year? You know, and still a small-ish startup company. Is it like? And, and I don't know. Were you was it all remote at the time, or is it? Uh, it was hyper. Yeah. So it's hundred percent remote. Does it just get? How do you keep it from going off the rails? 
and make sure everybody gets onboarded and that they have their benefits and they have the right salary. <laughs> I mean, just the logistics alone seem to me like a nightmare where you have 2000 people coming on in a year and, and making it work during a pandemic. Yeah. The short answer is uh, that it wasn't all on my shoulders, which is yeah. goodness, right? Um, yeah. Had some amazing peers across uh, the rest of the people organization uh, that were able that were able to respond to this new new norm. Uh, and guess what? We weren't the only company that had to deal with this. Um, you know, two thousand is uh, is either a big number or a really small number, depending on what company you're a part of. And there are a lot of HR professionals that really made that uh, period of time uh, really special, especially given that no one in history, as old as I am, I've never been through a pandemic before. Uh, and uh, You weren't around during the like Spanish or, or bubonic yeah. plague? or no. no, I was not around in 1904. <laughs> uh, just, just born right after that. But, uh, you know, so... Uh, this is this is something that I think um, we did very well, but a lot of companies did very well during that time. You know, I profiled in a Forbes piece, Lynn uh, Oldham from Zoom. And it's so interesting because like what I, I was equally confused, like how did you do all the same kind of thing I was asking you? And she had similar answers. So I guess if you're an experienced talent acquisition, your recruitment, you know, executive, recruiter, executive, you kind of know, all right, here's what we have to do. Let's just go back to basics and get things done. Because I expected a wild story. Zoom, for goodness sakes. I figured, oh my God, that has to be crazy. What happened? But it seemed pretty controlled. And in fact, what she was saying, a lot of it was kind of fun because you had the chance, because it was all remote, to just reimagine everything yeah. and re reinvent everything and think differently instead of just doing the same old thing. So it's, so I guess the same with you where, okay, hey, this is wild times, but you know what, just let's go back to basics and do what we have to do and, and it'll work. And it, it seems like it did. Yeah, I, I, I agree. One, one, one thing, not, not to make this all Robin Hood, but I want to yeah. shift back to like, you know, how this might actually impact talent acquisition trends. One thing that I'm, I, I'm starting to see in the market is this, um, uh, very strong opposing opinion around uh, get, gathering uh, in person. Um, uh, should that be a company policy? Should that not be a company policy? A lot of TA leaders are concerned about, you know, if, uh, if that co particular company doesn't offer remote first, does that make them less competitive? Um, but to what you're saying earlier, what I'll, what I'll say is that, um, for almost 18 months, we were forced to be in a remote environment. Many of us were explicitly uh, quarantined or, you know, stay at home with stay at home orders of various states. Um, and so it, we all endured as humans to be able to just operate behind these screens, right? Yeah. I still don't know how to unmute myself, by the way, on Zoom, <laughs> but I'll, I'll figure that out eventually. Um, but when we started to come back and gather as humans, I think there was something just special about gathering together in person um, uh, in, in that bond that, that was just hard to artificially recreate. So because of, that, uh, because of that phenomenon, I think a lot of companies are starting to re revisit, is their remote first policy the right, right thing? Or is remote hybrid uh, the right decision? 
And that's going to be something that's going to be very difficult for talent acquisition leaders to figure out. And But here's to go back to tie in the CRO point. It's also the hardest thing for the C-suite to have to figure out. Uh, and a, uh, a talent acquisition leader should be able to facilitate that conversation to talk about the trade-offs um, around setting up the uh, company's brands, uh, the logistics, uh, how to create a virtual uh, uh, virtual organization in an organization that also has brick and mortar uh, locations. Um, so, so that that's a complex conversation which requires a seat at the table at the C-suite. And, and Jim, how is it? Is it remote, hybrid? How how is the work model there? Yeah, we're we're currently remote um, uh, until next year, which gives us runway during this build phase to uh, you know, really uh, have this have this uh, conversation, debate, negotiation, whatever that might whatever uh, uh, word you want to use there, uh, because the leaders at Jim really want to be thoughtful about this because we've got a pretty special culture that we want to protect at all costs. So um, if I were to give like the real, real world, world picture of what's happening at GEM, I'd say there's some uh, percentage of us that are, you know, gathering all within legal limits and rule, state, local, state and federal rules uh, and working together. And there's a lot of, you know, energy uh, uh, behind that. So some, some are in office, but many of us are not. Um, and we're also... Uh, figuring out how to work collaboratively together in a uh, virtual environment. Um, the, the thing that uh, the C-suite is listening for is how is that supportive of our values? How is that supportive of our culture? And, uh, and, and that's, that's something that our founders especially are being really thoughtful about making that particular decision. And how, how does it because you're you're fast growing as well, you know venture cap venture capital back, you know fast growth. Um, when you're searching for candidates, what's what's the temperature? Are they basically saying, you know, hey, I rather be in the office. I want hybrid. I remote. What's what's the vibe check? Um, today, I, I I believe it's it's probably close to fifty fifty. It's an it's an unsatisfactory answer. Fifty fifty. Um, what like? Half want remote, half want hybrid, or yeah, there, there are. Believe it or not, there are some some uh, candidates that that do prefer to be in office. They tend to be earlier in their career, uh, a and what they're what they're optimizing for is to truly build real community. Um, like imagine, remember when you know first coming out of college, going into the work space, uh, especially if you're working away from home. Uh, you want to be able to create those social connections that really bind you to that location, to that company. Um, as much as we are trying to cr create that in a virtual environment, um, I think it's just harder to do. Uh, there's something about truly breaking bread uh, in, in, in person that creates that bond. Um, now, you fast forward and you go into... Uh, folks like myself that are old dogs in this in this industry, um, I think we've uh, been able to create a uh, work style that really lends itself well to a remote environment. And 
to be able to create work-life integration, having the optionality for me to just roll out of bed, put on a shirt. You guys don't know what I'm wearing underneath mm -hmm. this, but like put on a shirt, comb my hair and jump into right into a meeting as opposed to sitting an hour and a half in traffic is such a strong value proposition for me. So um, I would say that uh, anecdotally, the candidate response is somewhere in the middle, 50-50. Um, and we'll get, as we get uh, more into the data, I'll have, I'll, I'll have a much uh, yeah. you know, stronger position. And I agree with you wholeheartedly for younger people. I would encourage people who are just graduating you know, university or maybe out for a year or two to definitely go into the office if, if they afford that opportunity mm -hmm. because of exactly what you're saying. Because this way you got to get a vibe, you get a feel for it, what it's like. Maybe you get a mentor. And then also a lot of people, hey, you went to college in a certain place. You kind of maybe lost touch with people who are no longer within your geographic region. So you want to kind of rebuild a whole new network too. So getting into the office and meeting people I agree. I think that's really important. So it's, it's I, for different people in different times of their lives. And I also could imagine for, let's say, baby boomers are like, all right, I don't want to do this commute anymore. And I, I've been doing this for 40 years. I'd rather be home. I get that. I respect that. That's a, it's, that's a very valid opinion. Hey, why schlep into the office, you know, right in from a suburb to go into San Francisco or to New York City when you could do it from home. So, you know, I can understand that. So yes. it's, you now with Gem, can you maybe walk through people what, what you do, what the company does, what they're all about? Yeah. So Gem, uh, we are a B2B SaaS company that supports uh, recruiters and sourcers uh, as a, uh, let's call it a candidate relational uh, management uh, database. So CRM for short. Um, the, the, primary feature that actually is, has created a fanatical following of our products. And I'll, I'll attest to this as a former head of recruiting at Robinhood. Uh, my sourcers love, absolutely love uh, Gem at, at, at Robinhood. Um, the primary feature that really put us on the map was our ability to be able to increase engagement. Um, and, and that is done uh, uh, really through our ability to create and automate um, an engagement um, flow that is more personalized, um, that is more catered or bespoke to the particular candidate. Uh, and as a result, we're starting to, we're, we see f uh, a 5x return on, on positive engagements um, compared to the traditional outreach. Um, and the reason why uh, recruiters and sources have had uh, such a positive reaction to this is it starts to create the time and space for recruiters and sources to really focus on the thing that they care about the most, which is develop a uh, trust and bond with the candidates um, so that they can become that trusted advisor through the interview process, which is is sorely missing uh, in, in today's uh, you know, recruiting environment. Uh, back when you and I started in the, in, in the industry, I'm old, but I, by the way, you said something about baby boomers. I'm not a baby boomer yeah, generation. Yeah. Just Nor am I, yeah. <laughs> I don't think you are either. Although, but, although yeah. I did, when I started, first started recruiting, I would come into the city, right? I, I, you know, well, I lived in the city at the time, but then you had two kids and you kind of go to the suburbs, that usually thing. And 
I would have to race it. This is going to age me now, right? Don't mock me. So I would race it because if I didn't get there early on a Monday morning, the fax machine with resumes would spill over. And then I kid you not, Richard, then I would have to kind of play this game and put the, re, you know, because sometimes a resume would two, yeah. you know, back in the day, it could even be three pages or so. And then I have to kind of figure out where does it go? Yeah. Oh what, my gosh. What we a could, difference, right? Yeah. How, we, we could trade some war stories. Uh, speak of this fax machine. I don't know if you remember the thermo paper fax machines where uh, early on in, in the agency that I worked at, we were, we're just starting and didn't have a lot of money. So you, you would print out these things in thermal paper and I'm taking it to clients uh, and you leave it out in the sun too long, it turns black and, and they're like, I promise you, Jack, this is a great candidate. You can't read it right now. I will send you. It's so wild. It's so wild how it changes. And, and so with, with, but for the people who are watching, particularly on LinkedIn, you know, when they hear applicant tracking systems, when they hear, there's so much misconception at times. I, there's a lot of people who feel, rightly or wrongly, feel that, hey, it's kind of rigged against me. You know, if I don't have the right keywords, if I don't have the right bullet points, I'm just going to get kicked out. So with Gem, how for people, um, you know, not not who are aren't kind of really super knowledgeable about recruiting and the inner workings of it. But just if you're a job seeker on the hunt and you're sending in a resume, or if you're a recruiter and using GEM. So how is it marketed? How is it very different than other pro other things that are out there? And I know you started talking about it, but a little bit more, you know, how that works. Yeah, at the onset, uh, yeah. uh, at the onset, uh, uh, the, the product does a good job creating um, um, connections to uh, the things that that candidate in the company uh, has in common, whether it's people, uh, whether it's you know former companies that work, work together and so on and so forth. So it already starts from a place of trust. But the thing that's really important is uh, what GEM facilitates is a longer term engagement. Um, we call it nurturing the candidate. Um, and, and this is this is something that uh, uh, I remember when I first started in industry, that was really in, important. Um, I would, you know, take, hey, no, I'm not looking for a job right now. As a, okay, great, let's keep in keep in touch. Uh, that was always the the you know the approach in an authentic way, not in a you, you had said earlier. Some, sometimes recruiters are not deemed uh, human that they're salespeople, <laughs> but it, if I've established that trust uh, with that particular candidate. Um, the keep in touch was actually a enjoyable experience um, where I could share with them progress of the companies uh, it, uh, as as the companies progress through their growth period. Um, it, you know, you you're able to share in a meaningful way where they might not be interested right now, but six months from now, a year from now, they may be interested. And all along the way, you've developed the trust and credibility with that particular candidate that um, you have, you're able to have a much higher um, uh, uh, rate of being able to close them, right? Um, and, and, uh, and, and so as a result, I think it's the engagement through nurture, uh, which, which impacts uh, your ability to be able to deliver that candidate into the job that they, that they love, that the, the candidate, uh, the, the careers that they're passionate about.
So instead of where I would in the past, you know, let's say you were a candidate and I call you up for a particular role and you think, hey, thanks, but no thanks. I'm like, okay, we'll stay in touch. And then every once in a while, I might give you a buzz, particularly if there's another role that seems to be a fit. Yeah. But I guess with Jim, is it more automated and more tailored so that rather than have, because another change, you probably see this too, people aren't as inclined to get on the phone as someone like you or me who just grew up doing that. We were comfortable with that. Yeah. And you have to respect how people want to be contacted. Yeah. So I guess it's more of what, sending a message to someone, sending an email, sending a text. Yeah. How does that do to kind of keep that connection without overwhelming the person? Yeah, I, I think the, uh, the, the communication aspects of it are the, the simplest parts. That, that, that's what gives uh, recruiters and sources the trust um, yeah. that uh, the message is, is uh, uh, reaching the candidates. Um, we also do some uh, significant analytics around, uh, did they open the email? Did they click on the links that were right. sent and so on and so forth? But I think that's, that's secondary to what the primary goal is, which is... Um, uh, and maybe the best way to share this is, um, you know, share an anecdote. Um, but I remember before, before tools like Gem, and actually this was even before, uh, you know, LinkedIn Recruiter really became uh, a, a real thing. Um, uh, and I recall, you know, not, and this is not back in dinosaur days. This is, this is like probably 2010, 2011, mm -hmm. where I, um, I was tasked with bringing in a product manager uh, to support a mobile engineering initiative uh, at, at Facebook long, long, long time ago. Um, and the focus area was to bring in a, uh, someone who's experienced with Android. Um, and back in 2009, 2010, Android was very nascent and there was not that many people in the world that can um, actually do, do, do the job. And I engaged someone uh, at, at Google that uh, worked in Andy Rubin's organization. Um, and it took me a better part of a year to keep uh, in, in, uh, engaged with them. We would have coffees, uh, mm -hmm. uh, we would meet for lunch. Um, I would get to know him even better uh, around what his career aspirations uh, were and uh, you know where he vacationed. Like we really developed a bond uh, along the way. Uh, and then 14 months later, he accepted a job at Facebook and he's, uh, by the way, still there uh, leading, uh, leading some hardware uh, uh, initiatives there. Um, the moral of that story is, uh, I was able to focus on uh, really nurturing in, uh, that, that relationship over time. What is not seen is uh, I had to create a calendar tickler. I'd have lunch and I would you know, put that in, in, mm -hmm. in Outlook. I'd have to update the uh, applicant tracking system. I'd have to send an email to the hiring manager saying what I did. And just like, it was, there was like four or five different systems that I had to go in and out of in order to keep things coordinated. And the value proposition for Gem is that we, we are the single platform that allows all those activities to happen using various tools. Um, and, and it happens seamlessly in the background so that I can have the time and space to focus on uh, nurturing and developing relationships with the candidate 
And that I promise you is the magic behind this, right? So this is a reason yeah. why like I joined Gem because uh, I, I thought that talent acquisition uh, uh, in the 90s, we were forced to really focus on the candidate and the onus was on us to pitch the value proposition of the company to, to that particular candidate. In a highly transactional environment, it actually, the onus is on the candidate to figure out how to get into the company to get visibility. This is a reason why we're probably you know, deemed as robots. And, uh, and then when we're trying to close the candidate, they have, we have no relationship with them. So no wonder they think we're sales, yeah. salesmen. Um, so so uh, what Gem is really facilitating is that sort of move back into treating candidates as humans, as professionals as they are, um, allow recruiters and sourcers to have the time and space to focus on that and not worry about, I need to put in a tickler in my calendar. I need to do this here. I need yeah. to send an email. I need to uh, update the ATS. Uh, it, you know, that, that's just too many steps. Uh, and, 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 and Jim allows that to happen uh, seamlessly. And for the other side of the equation, for the people here who are considering a job search or currently in a job search, do you have any advice what to put, what not to put, or should you not even worry about how your resume is going to go into a system like Gem or another applicant tracking system to get noticed? Is it any advice or just put down what you do? You know, just, you know, what would you say to folks who are just stressed out about this? Yeah, I, look, there's no fancy algorithm. Uh, you know, keywords do, do matter in surfacing a resume, but ultimately, uh, it's that conversation that you have with the recruiter that's going to matter the most. Um, so to triple down on what I said about you yeah. know, the relationship-based recruiting, if you have an opportunity to speak to a, a recruiter, take that opportunity. Um, because of the reputation that recruiting has, has, has made over the last decade or so, um, um, many candidates do not believe that recruiters actually can affect the, the hire or can, you know, help shepherd them into, um, you know, a way to get a job at their dream, at their dream jobs. Um, but I would, I would say to you that uh, it, it, we have uh, a set of recruiting professionals that do really care about that approach. Um, and you should just get to know them. You should be, you should be interviewing them quote unquote, dating them as much as you're interviewing the company itself. Uh, and if they're great ambassadors of the company uh, or if they're an agency that, that um, you know that they have your best interests in mind, that's going to be one of the best relationships that you'll invest in in, in the long term because that person is going to be personally invested in you and your career, right? So what's in the resume is, uh, I'd say it's important, but it's probably weighted at like, you know, 30% importance, but that relationship with the recruiter is, is probably uh, more important uh, in, that, in that equation. You know, I'm, so, I'm so glad you brought that up, Richard, because I think what happens, the frustration at times is that people who are looking for a job really don't know how recruiters work. So that to your point, what I always suggest to people is that if you're looking, you want to find a recruiter who specializes in your sector. So let's say you know you've done you've, you've worked in the tech sector. I've placed people primarily on Wall Street. So if let's say somebody came to me and said, "Hey Jack, I'm a Java programmer. Can you help me have a job?" I would say honestly, I can't because I just don't know. I, I couldn't help you. 
but then I could come across looking like a jerk and they're going to tell their friends that guy, Jack, he's such a jerk. He blew me off. Yeah. But because they don't understand. And that's probably more of our industry, not really explaining it enough to people. And this is why I was glad you have the podcast. I was thinking of like we were talking before the show, maybe doing more of these because there is that disconnect that leads to frustration. Cause then you feel, Hey, why did I get blown off? Because I'll, I'll, I don't have an ego. So I'm comfortable saying, Hey, I don't know that space and I can't help. I would love to do it. Trust me. Cause it was such a hot area. I would make more, way more money, but I don't know it. And, yeah. and to start from scratch is it really whatever. But I think a lot of recruiters don't say that. So they give like short shrift to somebody and then they feel like, wow, that was rude. And now, you know how it is one bad apple or just one bad interaction and you label the whole group. And yeah, so I think just, Letting people, if you're looking for people who watch this now, if you're looking, tell me if you agree with this, Richard. If you're looking for a job, you want to find a recruiter who knows your space, who understands the space. But then also, you want to be at the level because they may not, they may just place C suite people. And if you're not at that level, once again, you feel left out. So you want to find person within your sector and then who within the type of role you do, the title, the compensation range, because it does like all, like, all professions, if you think about it now, it's so highly specialized. It's not like it used to be when you were younger and you have a doctor who did everything. Now you go to a doctor for whatever little thing is, there's a doctor who does that. Yeah, that's right. You know, a lawyer, every little thing, they just specialize in it. Same thing recruiters. Yeah. Not all of them, but I think a lot of it, in my opinion, I think for people who are watching this, some of the better recruiters, and this is a complete generalization, are the ones who really know one area, know it really well, because then they know the companies, they know the people, they know the customs, they know the culture, they know how much they get paid, they know the inside scoops, they know the hiring managers, so they could usher you in, you know, much more effectively than if you have no clue. Yeah, does, is that right? Does that resonate? You, I mean, look, you articulated it perfectly. Um, I think I, I mentioned one part of my playbooks when I'm when I'm thinking about scaling uh, yeah. a recruiting organization at a hyper growth company, and we're doing that here today at at Jim, um, is to put the recruiting professionals that have passion for that particular space in the talent verticals that they care mm-hmm. about. So engineering recruiters and sorcerers and even the coordinators care have a lot of passion uh, about engineering that by the way that was my story i'm an engineer that decided i didn't want to be an engineer as a profession and i went into recruiting it's so but, interesting yeah I, I mean you you don't have to be an engineer or, or you know, to do it's, well it's not it's not the usual path right there's actually i should introduce you to this guy and i'm, I'm embarrassed i'm spacing out his name scott uh christine will probably remember um He's at Indeed, head of talent acquisition, but started out as an engineer, software engineer. And somewhere along the line, he's like, hey, I just want to do something different and moved into recruiting. But that I, ha- I don't hear that often. Yeah, that's right. But, but you do hear um, pretty commonly that uh, folks that were in sales that decided yeah. to focus on sales recruiting. Yes, or, that makes sense. Finance, focus on finance recruiting and lawyers too, by the yes. way. Yes, um, yeah, that's big. So so um, I was I made this, this decision much earlier in my yeah. career. I was not outside of a couple of internships. I was not uh, uh, in nor should companies, uh, uh, you know, ask me to do real engineering? Because <laughs> uh, I think I was at subpar or below yeah. engineer. But the reason why I would humbly say that I was halfway decent recruiter is because of my passion, like my voracious yeah. appetite for understanding knowledge and 
going from, uh, you know, back in the day, a tech stack that worked in 1998 to the new tech stack is something that I cared a lot about, which made me, and these are the three points that are important for the uh, candidates to hear, it made me credible to the market, to the candidate, because I'm able to suss good, great, or, you know, not so great candidates. It made me credible to the company and my hiring managers. This is really important to, to note because what, when you are interviewing recruiters and developing a relationship with the recruiter, that recruiter needs to reciprocate their ability to be able to place you in your dream job by understanding what you do. You, you mentioned you have ex experience in the network in, within Wall Street. If I wanted to shift to that profession, I would want to sit down with you. You probably would say, no, you have no, no, no chance in hell, but like, you know, I would want to sit down with you to understand how do I best prepare myself for a role in, in, in Wall Street. But if they would want a job in technology, they should probably want to sit with me because I have the credibility both in market and with my hiring managers. And the third thing is because of uh, that credibility, I'm developing a network. I understand uh, the market trends. I understand you know, what the implications are going to be, uh, especially what we're seeing. You, you said Wall Street, so it triggered it. Um, and, and top of mind is this mm -hmm. economy, you know, this economy shift and a lot of concern in the stock market. But like, you know, this is, you, this is the time where you want to really invest in the relationship with the recruiter that understands your space. I agree with you. I think it's, it makes so much sense that being an engineer, even if you you know decided to kind of pivot, you kind of understand it. You get it. You you know you 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 understand that mindset. You know the people who are in the field. So it does give you more credibility. Gives you more confidence. It makes you know you know the conversation flow easier because it's not alien to you. So that's important. Um, and and here this is where the interesting turn comes. Is that. If we had this conversation two weeks ago, I would have been saying, you know, wow, I, everything I hear, just so hard to find tech talent. You know, it seems brutal. Like in general, it's a war for talent. It's a hot job market, you know, great resignation, 4 million people quitting a month yeah. and hard to tech. It's like just so hard. But now with NASDAQ in kind of bear market territory, probably s and I haven't looked at it today. I'm scared to look at it because I'm hemorrhaging money, Richard. So, <laughs> so it's, they're probably bear market territory now. Cryptos are really getting beaten up. What do you think? And I'm, I know for the audience, you're probably not going to want to hear this. What a great way to set it up, right? So everyone's <laughs> going to click out now. So, so do you think we're, this will turn around quickly, or would you advise people to have the mindset that we're going to be in choppy waters and it may not be as hot yeah. in the foreseeable future as it was? What do you what do you think? What's your take on it? So, so look, this is one of the one of the few advantages of me being as old as I am. Uh, I've Wait, you are not old though, by the way. So stop it. Because look, you don't have the, the white beard. So you're making me feel really <laughs> you look distinguished. You look distinguished. I'm just, I just look old. Uh, look, uh, both you and I probably lived through four real risk. Yeah, we got what? We got the not we got the uh, dot com boom and bust, right? 9-11 yeah. in the aftermath, yeah. financial crisis. Yeah. Yeah, even before that, so like I, you know, the the true recessions that are happened just specifically in the in the U.S. and there was one 
that impacted um, Silicon Valley, Bay Area technology in 1998, that was actually caused by an Asian market crisis, Asian economy crisis. What I'll say is that I've, in my profession, have lived through two and a half because like the Asian, the Asian mm -hmm. economy, I will, um, I will say that it wasn't in a U.S. recession, but it impacted technology in a way that was felt. Uh, so the three, the three that I, I was actually in in my profession uh, was the you know the Asian crisis, the dot com bubble burst, and then the subprime mortgage uh, issue. And those were like you know 1998, uh, 2000, and 2008 respectively. Um, and, e and in each one of those, I saw uh, a significant shift to layoffs, uh, hiring freeze, hiring cutbacks, yeah. um, and uh, and 100% of the time, uh, the economy snapped back. And not only did it snap back, for us, for recruiting, um, it was... Hey, we're gonna we're gonna freeze. We probably have to lay off some some recruiters to to make this happen. Luckily, in those scenarios, I was in a role where I was not impacted. Uh, certainly, had a lot of survivors remorse, but being on the inside, you felt this kind of this this massive like shift from we're not gonna hire um, to all of a sudden shift back to like we're behind now because we've cut back hiring, we cut back our resources, we cut back recruiters, we cut back all these things. And now we're behind, sprint as fast as you can to catch us back up, right? So my advice, I have advice to three, I have advice to three uh, archetypes and I'm actually writing a, 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 in the process of writing a blog post uh, about this. For recruiters, uh, re for recruiting professionals out there, recruiters, sourcers, um, coordinators if this is the career that you're most passionate about i highly encourage you to stick it out it's going to snap back um back in uh 1998 the running joke was everyone that was in recruiting i was uh sort of just making the transition from agency into in-house at the time many recruiters uh shifted to becoming mortgage brokers and real estate agents uh which is kind of interesting because then uh later the subprime mortgage uh, uh <laughs> lending uh uh forced a lot of those recruiters to rethink a career back into uh recruiting but anyways i digress those that stuck it out um were able to do things that were adjunct to recruiting at companies that's what i did i i was a stock plan administrator i was a uh i was a comp analyst i did iso 9001 2000 certification that allowed me to become even better recruiting mm -hmm. professional as a result of this, because I had more exposure to the company um, uh, as, a, as, a, as a result of that. But if this is your passion, stick it out, because this is going to snap back and it'll snap back uh, you know, in, in an aggressive way. If a history is indicated the future, I've been through three of them. Um, and the, the thing that I cannot predict is how long uh, this this period is going to be, but I will uh, absolutely predict that uh, you know every company in those three in those three scenarios had to snap back hiring really aggressively. The second is really to the TA leaders. Today you have a opportunity and an obligation. The opportunities you now have time and space to do the things that you've always wanted to do. The obligation is you need to now invest in the force that you have today 
to up-level their skills, um, to increase efficiency in your hiring process, uh, to instrument all the data that you said that, man, if we had time, we would totally you know, have data for that. Um, well, now, now you, you have a little more time and space and people that are eager to learn and want to contribute to those projects uh, to, to, to um, uh, engage uh, on those particular projects. So this is, this is really the call to action during this period of time. Um, and it also allows you to increase morale at the company, especially for um, talent acquisition professionals that are really worried, when is the next shoe dropping? Um, and the third is to the executives. Think about um, making sure that you're prepared for when the company endures this period of time and you're back into growth phase. The amount of time that it's going to take you to rebuild the flywheel of hiring um, really is contingent on how deeply you cut into that particular, the, the recruiting organization. So think about alternate ways to leverage really smart um, and uh, high potential and eager to learn individuals into other parts of the organization that allow them to be even better recruiting professionals for your organization. Um, and so, uh, and again, this is, this is something that, that, that hopefully uh, this message will resonate with a lot of, a lot of folks, but hang in there, it, you know, like this, this will turn around. And, and, and I imagine Richard, the same advice will hold true for, you know, people who are not recruiters who are either on the job market or just at a company and they're like, you know, they turn on CNBC and they see the big red, you know, you know, you know how like the media really makes it even worse. Like, oh my God, plunging, markets plunging. So I, I agree with you. It's, it's, it's not, it's easier said than done, yeah. but you have to have the stomach to say, you know what, this too shall pass. It's yeah. going to be rough going. Yeah. I would suggest for people and tell me what you think too, is this is a time you want to make yourself really valuable to the company. You're really useful so yes. that if there may be some hiring freezes or downsizing, you don't want to be the one. So you want to really make sure yeah. you're doing your job, you're executing well yeah. and all that. But it doesn't hurt to probably keep an eye out and maybe have, and this is a shameless plug for recruiters, maybe reach out to your trusted recruiters to say, hey, Rich, Jack, keep an eye out, God forbid, yes. just in case something happens, I don't have yeah. to start from square one. Yeah. Because that's always hard to do. So to have things going, working out. Um, so it's, and, and I'm glad you, you know, you brought it up, we we're talking about it, because I think part of the job for recruiters is to manage expectations. Yeah. And I think what happens Recruiters in any, well, any professional get a bad rap if all they do is say everything is great. Oh, everything is great. Don't worry. Everything yeah. is fine. But sometimes you have to be the one, you have to be the mom or dad to say, all right, not everything is great. We're, we're confident we'll get through it, but here's what you have to be prepared for. You have to be prepared when the stock market really gets pummeled and everyone gets scared and inflation is high. It's very easy for companies and executives to, to just slow things down. Right. And after having you know, coming out of the pandemic when all of a sudden everything looked, you know, started looking great. It's kind of, kind of sucks that now we have to deal with something again. That's what it is. So it's just hunkering down, getting through it yeah. and then waiting out till it turns around. Yeah. Look, I, I think we, we experienced um, a, a mini version of what we're going through during the pandemic, right? Like people forget there's a period of about four to six months where 
Uh, we thought imminently the pandemic was going to move us into a recession. A lot of companies mm -hmm. stopped hiring or re reduced hiring significantly, yeah. unless they were one of the few companies that actually increased yeah. uh, uh, their user uh, base during the pandemic. On the other, the, the folks that were negatively impacted were, were in a state of panic but after four 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 months it snapped back right so that that, that. but back to the to the candidates to the non-recruiters right. uh those of you to to jack's point those of you that are have not been impacted absolutely make yourself invaluable um there are uh ways for you to develop skills that you now uh never had the opportunity to do so because there you know are either less people to do it or uh, that company decided to no longer hire for a particular person that specializes in that thing. So take this opportunity to, to, to add that to your, to your knowledge toolkits. Um, to those of you that are considering uh, jobs elsewhere or looking for jobs elsewhere, one of the things that I've seen happen incorrectly during this period of time is the risk appetite drops. All of a sudden in a, in a, in a down economy, the uh, FANG companies start to see uh, uh, uptick of people that are interested in joining because they perceive that company to be more uh, stable in, mm. in a down economy. And so the appetite for uh, startups or mid-sized companies starts to drop. And I would encourage you to think about this. I just got done telling people that, that were not impacted to absorb as much knowledge as they can to put in their toolkit. Well, these companies, these small, medium businesses, and a shameless plug for Jam, yeah. we are also hiring uh, yeah. it, uh, aggressively as well. Um, what that means is uh, you will now have an opportunity uh, to join an organization um, in, in an environment where there's less people around you. So that ability to be able to absorb more knowledge is actually more prevalent in small, medium businesses, startups than there are in, in, in large organizations. As a general rule, I don't want to, I don't want to dis disparage uh, larger organizations. But this is, this is the reason why you should, you should be careful. Make sure you look at the business uh, metrics of that particular company. But it shouldn't reduce your appetite for risk because actually this is the time where your, your skills elevate the most. I've personally seen it and I've seen it in other uh, engineers uh, other, uh, you know, business professionals, go-to-market professionals. Uh, we did the bulk of our hiring at Facebook during a down economy, right in the middle of the subprime mortgage recession uh, or subprime lending uh, uh, recession. And many of those folks that joined uh, Facebook at the time are now in really big roles because they had an outsized, uh, you know, scope of work that allowed them to develop those skills. So, so, so don't be shy about uh, joining uh, smaller companies. I love that. That's great, kind of like contrarian advice. It'd be the same thing like for people who are investing in the market or have a 401k and say, hey, maybe, all right, I'll buy while it's low. Hold, you know, it's going to be a little tough, but let me do it. This is a good time, you know, perhaps to do it. Same thing with a career. Say, hey, maybe I go to that smaller startup, you know, that, where maybe people aren't rushing in to go there. So I could maybe get more visibility and have a better shot of getting a job there. So that's, that's really sage advice. And for, for Jim, if people want to get in touch with you, what's the best way, how can they reach you? 
Uh, look, uh, you, you know, feel free to reach out to me on LinkedIn. Uh, I I pretty much accept every, everyone's uh, uh, invitation. Uh, it's the reason why there's so many connections there. Uh, and, and I encourage us to, you know, find some time to chat. I, 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 this is one of the uh, funnest thing for me to do is to share stories of my experience that I hope that would encourage talent professionals to really see this as the career uh, that they want to become. This was not an opportunity. When I was you know, in, in college, no one said, hey, I think you could be a great recruiting professional. It was not, that, that was not even an option. Um, and uh, one of the things that I'd like uh, to be able to leave this industry is to leave this industry with the notion that um, a, a profession in talent acquisition is not only worthy, but it's one that's so fulfilling that uh, it inspire future generations to want to come into our world. This is great. This is a great way to, to wrap it up. So Richard, thank you so much for taking the time. And, you know, you did a great job. I think it's these kind of conversations are so important because people who are looking for a job, thinking about a job, people who want to go into recruiting, people who recruit, it, it kind of, you know, opens up to say, oh, this is what's going on. This is how it works. This is how, and by doing more of this, it, it's going to make it better for people because then they understand how this all comes together. And, and you will, you know, you were perfect in kind of walking everybody through this. So, so I really appreciate you taking the time out of your day and for the website, what, you know, in addition to yourself, if they want to check a look at gem itself, what's the exact website address. So this yeah. way people could kind of check out everything. Yeah, thank you. It's www.gem.com. Uh, it's pretty nice and easy. Yeah. Excellent. Well, thank you so much. And you know what? If you want to, as I mentioned before the show, I think I want to start doing more of these with recruiters because it's kind of, it's really interesting. It's fun to share stories. And I think it's also enlightening for people to know what's the real deal. And I think it more personalizes. So the more they see like recruiters talking, they're like, oh, all right. They are kind of normal. They are, I get it. They're there, you know, they have our best interests. So it's like anything else by just by having conversations, you can really understand people better. And, and you may come in with preconceived notions, but then when you get to know people like, oh, all right, I understand. So, so this was really eye-opening. So thank you very much. I really super appreciate your time, my friend. Well, thank you for Excellent. having me. All right. Excellent. Thank you. Take care. Bye-bye.